Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Korean American Parenting. Hope you're staying safe and hope you are staying well. And uh, it's February, so uh, happy new year. Happy Seolal to everybody. Still celebrating and still celebrating uh, 2021. We are excited to bring you this conversation as a part of our series and talking about youth and talking about our youngest of children in the toddler infant sort of elementary school age range. And so we're really excited to uh, showcase and to talk to one of our dear friends. And you may probably a good chance that you follow her work on Instagram. She is Sandy and she is the creator of the Korean for my kids brand, which is a website and Instagram where she teaches a lot about how to teach Korean for our kids. She is a mother of three children, ages two, four, and seven. And she has taken on the daunting and impressive and uh, respectable task of homeschooling all three kids uh, where she is. uh, So really excited to learn from her. And so to give us a little bit more introduction to her, here's Jane. Hello, everybody. Um, We have Sandy here today, and I'm so excited because I am an avid follower of her Instagram. Um, And I can tell you how much I revere her because I speak Korean. And my husband speaks Korean, and my child does not speak Korean. So for her to actually teach her three children Korean, I think is just amazing. So welcome, Sandy. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a privilege. No, thank you for coming on. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. And um, I wanted you to come and, um, you know, share your experience as a homeschooler and a a language teacher for your children. Um, But before we do that, um, we would like you to also tell us about yourself, your family, and your work in your own words. Sure. Thank you. So my name is Sandy. I am a second generation Korean American. So I was actually born in Korea and I came here when I was young. We went back and forth and we settled when I was four years old. And I've been going to school like throughout in the States. I've lived here for the past 30 plus years now. Um, I am raising three kids and I have decided we have we my husband and I, we decided to try homeschooling. And I'm in my third year homeschooling right now. My oldest is seven and in second grade. And we're almost done with her. We're about halfway through her year. And I feel really uh, thankful and amazed that all three of my kids speak Korean fluently. My eldest can read and write and enjoys Korean. Now, it wasn't always that case. We've had to do a lot of work and we did have some ups and downs. And I'm sure we will have ups and downs in the future. My husband is also Korean American, born and raised in the States. Now he is um, more Korean American than I am, but he is, I'm much more Korean than he is. 
His Korean usually is suppressed by my kids at like age two, maybe. Um, and he has been, yeah, he, I mean, he's been a great sport and he tries to speak as much Korean as he's able to. And he's learned a lot. Um, but most of it is from me. And my Korean has had to grow a lot over the last seven and a half years <laughs> to do this. That's pretty amazing. Um, but uh, I just want to say, so your children speak better in Korean than your husband? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like my two-year-old can definitely outspeak dad at this point. <laughs> she's also a fast talker. She's she's quick. Um, not all my kids are that quick, but um, yeah, I'm. I get so amazed sometimes. Like I don't know how they speak that well. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. I think it's um, you know, as a um, fluent speaker, uh, Korean speaker, and it was my first language, I kind of assumed that it was going to be very easy um, to help my child speak it. And I was very wrong <laughs> in some ways. You know, I feel yeah. really blessed and privileged, I think, because I grew up as a second generation and I had to uh, like I've been through the experience before with my own life. And so I think in some ways I had a better idea of what the challenges were, what my own challenges were as I was learning or trying to keep up the language when I was young. Um, so I think that really does help me. And I think I've realized that the language ability of the parent is not always correlating like perfectly correlated to the kids ability and that's actually really encouraging for so many people who are maybe not the best korean speakers and i i definitely wasn't when i first became a mom so yeah no i think that's actually really helpful because we, we've had um one of our uh speakers in our podcast um it was katie and um she is actually publishing a book in korean for korean children but she herself didn't know Korean and had to learn it um, as an adult. So I think the fact that you're um, helping your children speak in, uh, Korean without being, you know, completely comfortable with Korean, I think is amazing. And um, it's also very encouraging for sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we can talk more about it. <laughs> There's so much yeah. to talk about. Yeah. In addition to being, uh, uh, you know, Korean language teacher to her cho uh, your children, you're also a homeschooler. And yes. um, I wanted to kind of ask if that decision to, how did that decision to homeschool can't come about? And how does that, um, how does it, how is it like to be a Korean American homeschooler? Yeah, so I have met a lot more homeschoolers through the so through social media and just through different co-ops and whatnot. And I'm also I'm always so amazed when I meet these parents who were like, "Yeah, when my kid was born, I knew I was going to homeschool." Or, "Yeah, I've been researching homeschooling for the last four years and I've read all these books." And that totally was not my case. I decided to I finally committed to homeschool when I was I think I was like 39 weeks pregnant with my youngest. And I got the confirmation that we were going to homeschool when I was at the hospital after giving birth. Like I got the email. And at that point, I hadn't done any research. I hadn't really done that much research. Our decision kind of came really naturally. We knew we were going to be moving soon when my daughter started kindergarten. And 
we knew that if she had to go to kindergarten at 7 a.m. every day, she likely wouldn't see dad in the evenings because she would have to sleep oh. early. Um, so a variety of reasons like that. Also, I just had a really close relationship with my daughter. And because I was able to be at home with her, um, the the sudden change of going to school for seven, eight hours a day felt kind of sudden for us. So all those things kind of naturally allowed us to choose homeschooling and also make it not a big deal when we told the grandparents. Like we were just like, well, you know, it's just kindergarten. We're going to be moving soon. It's just for a year. And uh, they weren't really happy with it, but I think it was easier for them to accept as well at that point. Can you take us through the process, Sandy, for, for those of us and myself included that don't understand sort of that decision-making process or transitioning into homeschooling, you, you had mentioned that you got an email giving you confirmation that it was like, how, what is, what, what is, what was your process of deciding to, and what were some of the factors or, you know, certifications, you know, in, in sure. my mind, because I'm not familiar with it. It's, well, shit, kids, you ain't going back to school. COVID has <laughs> COVID. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to open up our academy. Right. But like, what, what is the process and, and sort of what should parents be thinking about if, because we've all been homeschooling. We just haven't been calling it that, right, for the past year. Sure. But, like, what is the formal sure. process to understand how we can transition into uh, actual formal homeschooling? Yeah, so I think every state is a little bit different. So you need to look at your state regulations. I'm only familiar with two of them, California and Colorado. Um, but in California, you can – I mean, there are basically, I think, three ways to homeschool legally. One is you register as your own own homeschool academy. So like APA Academy, you name it, you name one spouse as a principal, the other as vice principal, and then you do all the, you fill out the paperwork for that. Um, another way is to enroll in a, like a homeschool umbrella, and they take care of all that paperwork for you. So you pay a certain fee and you join them. In California and maybe some other states as well, I'm not familiar with it, you could join a charter school umbrella. So you actually get public school funding, you get some oversight, you meet with um, a certified teacher and you kind of verify like these are what, these are the things that we're doing and you make sure you're hitting all the requirements for that year. Um, so there's, it, you have the flexibility of homeschooling, but you also have that oversight from the public school district. Um, so I think those are, like the three ways. So I chose to go with a, a homeschool umbrella and I submitted my paperwork and got that response back when I was at the hospital. Um, and I think, I'm not sure about every single state, but kindergarten is not compulsory. So if you're going, if you're trying out homeschooling for kindergarten, you don't have to do anything. You can just do it. And then starting first grade, you can fill out the paperwork for it. And what sort of curriculum support or guidance or, you know, because this is at the root of it, this is sort of has to do with the state has to have enough confidence in your ability to mm -hmm. give your child a not perhaps not equal, but comparable education as they would get in the public system. And you as sure. the education provider to say, I got this right. But like, what is that process? Do they give you, do you have to, like, do they give you lesson plans by the day or you know, sure. what, what do you control and what is, what is told to you? Oh man, I think it really depends on, it depends on the parent and how comfortable they are and how much control they want to have over the curriculum. 
I know some parents who want to decide everything themselves. And at this point, it's very different than like, say, 30 years ago. There's so many curriculum companies now. There's almost too many options if you start looking, like in terms of language arts or math or science. Um, you can get like complete packages that have everything in it and you purchase that for however many hundreds of dollars. You can choose to kind of pull together your own resources. There really are so many options. And I think if you are with a charter school or a homeschool umbrella, they give you the option of using the curriculum that they have chosen out, or you have the option of kind of doing your own thing or kind of mixing. There are also um, hybrid options. And again, this, this depends on your region, but sometimes you have the option of sending your child to like a whole day camp, like once a week where they do kind of like more specialty activities or more hands-on things that are easier for uh, easier to happen in larger groups. Or maybe it's like really hands-on and you would not want, you don't want to do it at home. <laughs> and you can outsource that. I think uh, in terms of homeschooling, it's, it's not necessarily that you have to teach every single subject yourself or do everything yourself, but you have a little bit more say in who you want to do it or how you want it to be done. So some people are technically homeschoolers, but they outsource a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Like they'll hire to their first specific subject or they'll send them to like a one day camp for music or whatever, you know, there's a lot of flexibility in that. Does that kind of answer what you were interested in? Okay, good. So then you have decided to put this um, big subject of Korean into homeschooling. Mm -hmm. Or was it something that you've been doing beforehand and then just kind of became a part of your homeschooling? Actually, when we did kindergarten, my eldest was reading and writing in Korean pretty well. So I, wow. I, I mean, she's, she's kind of precocious. So I don't think every kid is like that. And I don't think my son is going to be like that. And I don't have the expectation on them per se but she was interested and she was able to do so. And so kindergarten, I actually was very hands-off with Korean. I also had a newborn, I had a toddler. We were getting ready to move out of state. Um, you know, we were trying to homeschool for the first time. There was a lot going on and I didn't focus on it very much. And then it was when we were getting ready to start first grade that I realized, oh, she can't read in Korean anymore. Oh, she oh, can't she really forgot? write in she forgot. Um, oh, wow. And she also forgot how to say a lot of things in Korean. I remember um, I thought that she wasn't speaking it because she just didn't want to. But then one day she was like, Mama, I don't know how to say that in Korean anymore. And I remember it was so shocking for me. Um, so when we had started with her, um, just from when she was a baby, we did something called One Person in One Language. OPOL is very, um, it's a very commonly cited like, strategy for passing a language. So I only spoke Korean to her um, with my like lower elementary Korean level. Um, and then as I was raising her, I was looking things up and trying to learn as I, as much as I could. Uh, when we started kindergarten, I actually stopped doing the one person, one language approach because I was, you know, teaching her English literature or whatever we were doing back then. And I still remember her face expression when she saw me speak English to her. Like she gave me the, such a weird look like, oh, Ma just spoke to me in English. Huh? And then she looked at me weird as she spoke English back to me. And I think at that moment, 
the wheels started turning in their head. I mean, she knew I could speak English. My husband and I speak English to each other and, you know, we're out in community. But I think it was the first time that she really like internalized, internalized it. Um, and so, yeah, by the time we started first grade, we almost, I mean, we started back at the beginning. We started with like Kanadara, Ayaoyo, like back at the beginning um, in terms of like everyday daily phrases. Uh, as she started to learn to read, read again, I would write down common phrases that she forgot how to say like, based on each room. So like in the kitchen, it would be, 엄마 배고파요. Like I would write that. Or 엄마 깨끗한 그릇 주세요. Like I, I wrote that. And when she said it in English, I would direct her like, hey, do you remember this is what it, what it is in Korean? So yeah, we almost started back from scratch. I think because she did have a foundation before, it was easier for her to kind of pick it up. But we had maybe like eight months where it was very intensive Korean on my part. Um, and so after kind of bringing her to speed, it's actually this past year in second grade that we really made it more of a bilingual homeschool. Um, so we do um, certain subjects in both languages. Wow. Um, so for example, we'll do um, like, like for example, this week we'll do like a children's version of Shakespeare, like a children's level in English. And then in Korean, we're reading a biography of a Korean ornithologist. Um, and so we read that in Korean and it's probably like lower elementary level. So I read it a lot to her, she listens. And then we talk about it in Korean as much as we can. You know, we sometimes stick English words here and there, but it's mostly Korean and she's gotten used to the fact that this is Korean time, so she'll use only Korean at that point. And then when we go back to English, we'll talk in English then. And I can imagine if you're doing this with your first child, the, the other two, younger two are kind of picking up but as, as you guys go. Yeah, I'm amazed at my four-year-old. He sticks around for some, some of the readings and some of them, he just like goes off in place, which is totally fine. He's four. Um, but sometimes uh, he'll answer the question first like when i say oh so what happened like you know what happened in the story or who do we meet in the story sometimes he'll answer before my seven-year-old and he's a lot more eager i think because he wants to be a big kid and join oh, in yeah. um so he has no qualms about the korean part or the english part i mean he doesn't yeah i mean he's still young but he doesn't have any qualms about that because he sees big sister doing it so, um, yeah, I'm really thankful. We do um, history and literature and then natural history in both languages. So if, uh, um, in English, we have a set curriculum we follow, you know. I that's do a, edit it here and there, but okay, we follow so, it. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of studying on your part, <laughs> I would have to say. No, because... you know, uh, uh, so I, as a homeschooler, I follow a method called Charlotte Mason, and it's very literature-based. literature based. So, so how about how about of, the Korean portion? Yeah, so instead of me teaching, we're reading books together. And I spend a lot of time choosing the books. but And sometimes I buy dead books and we're not going to use them. But we read these good books and then we talk about it together. So really, it's the book teaching us. And that takes so much pressure off of me as a teacher. Because, I mean, it's this Korean ornithologist. He wrote his own autobiography. So he's kind of teaching us and we're like oh look what he said <laughs> that's pretty amazing um i guess i should have asked you this question before we all started sure. but, 
you know, um, is there a reason that you really wanted this experience of Korean for your children? Because um, I think I'm, I have a little bit of hard time trying to figure this out as myself. Like, you know, like, um, sure. I kind of thought, well, well, I'm from Korea and, you know, I speak mm -hmm. Korean, so my child should speak Korean. Uh, and I think the only other piece would be like, my parents don't speak English. They live in Korea. Right. So I would like her to be able to at least have some conversation. But um, what is your impetus uh, behind this um, education that you're giving your children? Sure, yeah, I think that's a really important question. And I think every family will have a slightly different answer. And based on that, you'll have a different approach. Mm -hmm. I think I am a little bit more intense than maybe some other families, which is why I have this Instagram <laughs> and I try to share what we do. But um, I think... For me, the way I was raised as a Korean American by my parents, the two things that really stuck with me is, one is they had a lot of Korean pride. They had a lot of pride in the language. They had a lot of pride in the culture and the heritage. And that's something that was just very, uh, a part of our family culture. Um, so they really emphasized that. Um, and I think the second part is they always emphasize that how lucky and how privileged I was to have access to both cultures and both languages and how I could understand things more deeply or in different ways that I wouldn't have been able to if I only spoke one language or only had one culture. And they um, really encouraged me to take the best of both cultures and leave the rest behind. Um, and so I think because I was raised in that way, I also wanted that for my kids. Um, my husband's experience is a little bit different. He um, didn't speak Korean growing up. And I think as an adult, he wished he had. So in some ways for him, it's a little bit of a regret. And for him as well, it's almost like redeeming in a sense to be able to see his own children uh, speak the language and be comfortable with the culture. And we both benefit. We both uh, have kind of dealt with our own like Korean American, Asian American baggage as we parent. And I think we all do. We kind of examine what our past was like. We examine the feelings we had or the hurts that we had and all of that, right? We kind of Hence process it with our podcast, kids. Right? I'm sorry, yes, exactly. that's why we have the podcast. Yeah, I mean, we're processing our own childhood in a sense as we parent. Um, something I talk about with my daughter when she's when she's feeling more reluctant with the Korean is is to remind her of all the wonderful people and friends we were able to have because we spoke Korean or because we were able to identify with that culture. And she's really lucky in a sense that she has those examples. Like she said, like she has, oh, this person I was able to talk to because I could speak in Korean and they are a very precious friend to me. And being able to point to that has encouraged her to kind of continue. And just like you, what you mentioned, like our parents are not very fluent in English. Um, we would like to visit Korea and our relatives at some point. And even though they're getting really good at English in Korea, um, I, I, I think that is something that encourages my kids as well. Like to be able to go to another country and to be able to communicate. I'm not very good at Spanish, but I can, 
I used to be better and I could understand and speak some. And I've been able to connect with so many people through that. And I think something we talk about, it's, it's not necessarily that you're good at a language, but being able to like respect that language and respect that culture enough to use a few words that you know, and to be able to listen and to have that insight into another people group or another culture is so valuable. So we don't only talk about like Korean and how good it is. This is a worldview I want to instill in my kids that in the most of the world speaks at least, you know, at least like two languages or maybe not most, I think over half of it speaks more than two languages and you gain something from every language and from every culture that you interact with. So um, I think from that worldview, we have access to Korean, like we are of Korean heritage. So I think like, why not take benefit of that? Like, I would like my kids to learn more languages as they grow up. Like we're hoping to start Spanish in the next year or whatnot. And if they want, they can learn other languages, but I don't want them to feel like, I want them to know that it's not like the fluency you don't have to be perfectly fluent for it to be worth it. Like you gain as you do it. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh yes. No, I think I think the one thing that you just said made me is stuck with me is about the way that your parents um kind of raised you that you are we well, we are um uh lucky and privileged in, in that we have both cultures with us. Um I think that's such a beautiful way of looking at the world, but also raising their children. Um, even though I see so many people, and I myself is bicultural, I don't think I saw it that way in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think I saw it as um, disadvantaged in some ways in, in a um, minority world. And the way that you just uh, said it, it really changed my perspective on uh, my position in this world and my child's position in this world um so thank oh, that's you that's great i'll tell my parents yeah I'll be like, oh, yeah. Look. <laughs> yeah no, no I, I didn't realize how lucky i was i thought everyone grew up that way and it's only now as i meet more people and, I, and as we have more discussions like this that i realize oh that wasn't always the case and you know there, I, like i was raised in an area that was like very kind I think, and there were a lot of different ethnicities, maybe not so many Koreans, but there are a lot of different ethnicities. And I think that really helped. Um, So we have a couple more minutes, but I really, so since we have Sandy here, the most important thing I think um, um, that I want my audience to learn from her is some advice uh, you have for Korean American parents who are trying to infuse Korean Americanness and the language into child rearing. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's such a big topic. Yeah, in two I minutes, think, right? <laughs> two minutes. No. Okay. I think with Korean culture, like we can always, and what, no matter what language level you have, food, holidays, or customs, I think are you can adapt for your own family. Not every, not every family is going to do it the same way. I think there are increasing number of resources for in English as well as ways to purchase it from Korea, if you'd like, um, that have emphasis on the culture and the language and the identity as an Asian American or Korean American. Um, 
there are like audio resources, there are more video resources and, and more access to these things than ever before. I think also just like bilingualism or multilingualism is something that is definitely rising in terms of trend, a parenting trend. So there are just a lot more people encouraging sharing strategies to do this, like like way outside of me, like um, just so many more people who are doing this that I think everyone is should be able to find someone that they can either learn from, lear, learn from or get tips. Um, for this, if this is something that you feel passionate about or want to do. Um, oh, gosh, there's so much more to say, but um, yeah, I know we have time. No, limits, so. I mean, I think you're well, sorry, I was just joking, but I, I do. I do think that your uh, social media presence and um, the things that you uh, share with us are so great. Um, I was just telling Sandy before we started recording that um, her resources are so approachable for a mo um, very not artsy mom like me, <laughs> who becomes very overwhelmed with a lot of really great looking art uh, and Pinterest looking things. Um, so, but you know, I mean, you use things that I already have in my house and, you know, um, and it feels so so much more approachable and doable that I feel like I can do it. And I think that's actually been the biggest point of, you know, following you on social media because I, I, it makes me feel more uh, confident in doing those things that I, may, I might not have thought about doing. Well, thank you. You know, I think something that is so valuable when it comes to children is routine. And I think it's better to be consistent with like three minutes every day than to do something like big and a big project and then have that be a one-time thing. So if you have limited energy and limited time, I think finding one part of your day where you can infuse a little bit more Korean, it could be like every bedtime we'll speak more Korean or every time we eat this snack, we're gonna be reading a Korean book. Like just little bit by little bit, making it a part of your life. And when it becomes automatic, then add something else. I think that's the best way because this is not a sprint or a race. It's a marathon. And like, I don't think it's helpful for parents to get burnt out as they do this. And, you know, as passionate as I am about Korean language and Korean culture and passing this down to our children, this is not always the most important thing, right? You have different seasons in life and some seasons are more challenging others. You do what you can, maybe then that season, all you do is show them Korean TV shows and that's, that's it. But you know, like, I, I don't think that any of that is for not like you can build on that in the future in different seasons. So I, also, I don't want people to feel like this person is doing all these things. Why can't we do that? I'm like, we have different priorities and different seasons in life. You know, my kids are getting older. I've been doing this for a while. I think, you know, it's easier, but at first, we're just trying to get by, you know? Andy, there's so much great stuff that you shared. You know, one thing that I want to sort of uh, touch on as, as we wrap here um, is this notion that you shared about your husband. Um, you know, my experience is different. I came around when I was eight, so I went to school in Korea, and, and so my, my language skills did not have to start at zero um, being born here. But I think it's this notion that a lot of us grew up uh, collectively with a, a lot of our parents wishing for us to be American. And obviously, in their mm -hmm. mind, American meant not Korean American, but white American. 
And so it was mm -hmm. lose your accent, get to the good schools and just fit in. And somehow for a lot of us, our parents have not prioritized a lot of things uh, that I think is we're, we're sort of reckoning with now as a generation of parents, which is Korean culture, Korean language, um, Korean history, and a lot of the things that from their perspective, we came to America to give you a better life as an American. So let's focus on that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's wonderful that, you know, a lot of us and you in particular are sort of leading this movement to say, hey, there's nothing wrong with being both. And it's because our parents sacrificed and set us up for this position where we did go to good schools and now we do, um, you know, all these things. And we can still do both because, shocker, we can't change the way we look, right? We're still going to be treated <laughs> for the way we look and, be, you know, and, and there are um, oddly weird things like, you know, uh, comfort foods and just it's ingrained into our DNA of who we are. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, instead of running away from it, let's embrace it. And um, I actually think overall as, as, a, as a community, um, a lot of our kids are going to be better equipped uh, with Korean language skills, better uh, culture skills, um, not just because of the way that we're thinking, but also, which is what you're doing as well. There is a flood and just an amazing wave of uh, books and content that is now being created by us, not Korean stuff that we're, you know, having to bring over and doesn't make any, you know, sense from a cult cultural context perspective. Um, but I see on your page, you know, uh, you know, books from authors like Helena Curry and from Laila Lee and from Anna Kim, who we've had on the show here. Um, those are mm -hmm. us. Those are people who fully understand what it means to be othered and to be Korean American now in a position and are privileged to write these stories. And so I am so excited for our children to learn, um, again, not just Korean, but like we always talk about on the show, um, it's, a, it's a brand new experience. It's a brand new culture that they're creating, uh, that we're helping them to create, which is Korean American. Because um, we can't go back and be treated the same, right? And and, and we're never right. going to be treated the way we need to be here. And so um, I, I thank you for the work that you do. Um, I think it's going to be a tremendous resource. Um, you know, oftentimes we all come across Instagram accounts and, you see the content and you see, uh, and you're like, why, why isn't the followership bigger? Why, why isn't everybody following? And I, I think you just continue to do what you do. And, uh, you know, um, but it's a part of it is cultural because we've also been told like, don't brag and don't, you know, like shout, right? Like just be humble, but thank you for coming on our show and sharing it because, you know, um, there's a lot of things that I've seen that, uh, we've started to do a little bit in our home as well. And, you know, as we get into uh, a full year of COVID for some of us, um, you know, we need to innovate and we need to sort of figure out, you know, what we do going forward. Because um, our, our kids, you know, school can only do so much. Whether you're homeschooling or sending your kids to school, the majority of what they learn, the important human skills, uh, start at home, start and end at home. So um, thank you so much for what you do. I, I can't, I can't fathom. I don't want to fathom, actually what it is to spend all day, every day with three kids <laughs> and then teaching them everything. So kudos to you um, and, and, and your support you system so that allows you to, allows you to do this. But yeah, and so let's, let's give our, you know, as a final thought, um, we've talked about books a little bit and we're coming on, uh, we, we, by the time you listen to this, uh, you know, Salah will just have passed, but what are, what are your favorite Korean American books? that you think every one of us should have on our shelves? 
You know, the very first Korean American book I or the very first book I read by a Korean American was A Single Shard by Linda Sue Park that won a Newbery Award. And I remember the specific thought, I was like 24 maybe when I first read it. I remember thinking, there is an ancient like Korean book in English and it won an award? Like, I can't believe people thought this was important and special enough to, to you know, to win this big award. So I think that is just, um, I think everyone should read it once because it was such a milestone of a book. And anything by Linda Sue Park, she has everything from chapter books that deal with like the Japanese occupation all the way to like really cute um, picture books. Bibimbap. Like Bob. I know, Bibimbap. Yeah. She also, I think something that she does well is she brings in other cultures and languages. So she has this one book where um, every page has like different languages on it. Um, like they're all sneezing and they're sneezing in different languages. And I, I love that because I think as a Korean, like the worldview that you need to have is that there are multiple languages out there and they're all valuable and they all communicate something special in their own ways. And when my kid doesn't want to learn Korean, I think it's because that worldview is not really strong. She thinks English is the only language and it's the only thing that she'll need, right? So um, yeah, anything by Linda Sue Park. Um, I just shared on my Instagram a book called All Year for One Day. Um, and that's about like New Year. And it's about the, it's about being celebrated by a Korean American family. And, you know, we have a lot of Sornar books in our home that's in Korean, based in Korea, but it's so different reading about a Korean American family in English, saying like, "Oh man, let's wear this," or "Appa, let's eat this," and seeing that image of yourself in in on the illustrations of the book. So I think I'm really excited to see that book recent to uh, have more people read that book soon. Awesome. So anything by Linda Sue Park, and, and she is certainly an, a legend. Oh, there's so many more authors now. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and, like, and I hope it grows. Um, yeah. You know, and then we've had, yeah, and then we've had some wonderful authors here and, you know, people in that literature world that care about diversity and, and want to put more, you know, books by Korean and Asian American authors into the universe. I can't wait. I think, you know, uh, all of this will mean that our kids will be grown up in a world where they see more of each other, see of themselves, read about themselves. Of course, we don't want our kids to just uh, look at books, looking at a bunch of Korean kids. So diversify your bookcases, uh, buy Korean books for your non-Korean parent friends. It's important that they see mm-hmm. us in their kids' books too. So um, And donate to I, your library. Whenever I can, I'm trying to buy extra copies and donate. And it's, you know, it's, very different when a kid walks in and they see a Korean American on the shelf and they take that home to borrow it. It's, it does, it's amazing what that can do for your kids. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for highlighting um, our our community of of parents and uh, really making life a lot easier and more creative for a lot of us. Uh, Continue to do what you do. Good luck the rest of the way as you uh, homeschool these kiddos and, um, you know, we, we hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy throughout the year. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you so much and for what you guys do too. Thank you. This is amazing. 
Awesome. You can find Sandy at Korean4, that's the number four, my kids, Korean4MyKids on Instagram or at Korean4MyKids.com and connect with her, collaborate with her, give her books so she can give it away. And we'll see you next time here on Korean American Parenting. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American Parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to check out our website, KoreanAmericanParenting.com, to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple. And share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.